everybody and welcome to the Kano Reads Podcast, Volume 5, Issue 225. You can play along with Kano Rince. Many of you do it these days, we know that. Uh, but if you haven't started Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch by this point, uh, you might have to leave it a while before listening to that one. That's not a short game, but that's our next podcast. Following that, a uh, similar story, really, because we're covering both uh, The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons in one podcast. They came as a pair, uh, so that seemed like the appropriate thing to do. After that, it's Ori and the Blind Forest, then Plants vs. Zombies, and after that, Crazy Taxi. Oh, yes. Head to canorince.com for articles and features and reviews and the links to our other outlets such as our forum, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what we do, you can reward us or thank us or contribute to our ongoing well-being uh, via our Patreon, which is uh, sort of conducted as a virtual tips jar and online donation box Cane uh, and Rinse at patreon.com and uh, put in a dollar or whatever you feel like per month and it's incredibly gratefully received similarly uh, if you want to get something for any money you care to put our way we have some very nice t-shirts and bags uh, recently redesigned um, by Jay and the team and they are at spreadshot spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse we also have our video games music podcast which is now weekly that's called sound of play it's on a separate feed you need to seek that out uh, we recently had Jasper Byrne on which was uh, very exciting the composer of tunes from uh, things like Hotline Miami as well as a maker of his own game games but uh, you may know him from uh, Lone Survivor Anyway, please review, rate, subscribe to both of those podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on TuneIn or wherever else you get your podcasts from. If we're not there, let us know. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Carl Moon. Hey, guys. Dan Clark, returning guest. Hello, it's lovely to be back some more uh, nostalgic Sega goodness. Indeed. First port of call, mealtime strategy, Dan Clark, but also a uh, recent addition to the family, Mikhail Crowder. Hello. Hi. So, Golden Axe. Uh, this podcast is mainly about the original Golden Axe, but uh, it's definitely one of those shows where we can't really uh, just talk about the one game because realistically we're probably not going to award its uh, various sequels and spin-offs their own podcast because there are too many games to cover. And I feel like we can, if we all talk fast and, uh, and <laughs> somehow manage to get to the point, we might be able to cover the legacy of Golden Axe such as it is. But let us start with our histories, with um, mainly the, the the original game, but the series as a whole. And let's start with guest Dan. Uh, the arcades of '89. Yeah, um, I remember pumping, I goodness knows how much into the machine. Um, it was, I think, it was the sort of natural follow-on in my mind from, say, Double Dragon, which yes. is the first game I actually remember completing in the arcades, and then Golden yes. Axe. I think is the sort of second or something mm. around that. The first one I remember. Or, Second one that I remember, yeah, knowing we found an arcade where you uh, had all five bars, and oh, um, yes. I think it was uh, like three rather than two lives. I think they could switch it about yep. on the dip switches. Yep. Yep. And this one was slightly easier, so we got our friend's dad to treat. take us down on a Sunday night. Um, just we were like, our plan was right. This is the one time we are going to go and complete it on this slightly easier machine. Yeah. And then um, I didn't know what the ending was at that point, and we'll get to it later. But it was just yes. such a beautiful surprise. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I went on to the Mega Drive one later, but we'll get to that later in the show, I'm sure. 
Yeah, um, and I'm going to guess, like me, you've picked it up, picked picked various uh, versions of this game up multiple times over the years. Yeah, usually, um, usually releases of the Mega Drive version generally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mikhail, how about you? Yeah, um, I was in this uh, Belgian bungalow park in '89 uh, with uh, with my parents and my brother and a kid from the uh, neighbor kid. Uh, we were staying there for summer holidays, and there was this machine in the bar restaurant of the uh, of the park. Uh, it was uh, a game called uh, Gigas Mark II. Does, uh, mm. does that ring a bell with anyone? Vaguely. I couldn't tell you anything more about it. It's uh, a Sega-produced Arkanoid clone and uh, with a, with right. a, with a okay. little pedal, a pedal controller. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, we had a couple... Since we were very much fascinated with video games at the time already, we uh, we had a look at, uh, at the cabinet, but we never gave it a spin. It looked... Uh, pretty old hat but still mm. quite quite charming with little fishy fishy things and everything but um i think it was two or three days before we were to return home uh that they replaced the machines so they they reeled in a new cabinet and yeah. they brought in a new cabinet and there was this one kid in the park just going bonkers out of nowhere another dutch kid from uh, from rotterdam and mm. he just started screaming like Golden eggs, golden eggs. He really, he really butchered, uh, butchered the name quite terribly. Eggs. <laughs> golden eggs. That's what he said. Yeah. So he, you yeah. could say he pulled a, pulled the, uh, pulled the old Louis van Gaal there, and um, um, so, so he was, he was just, he kept on going about. Yeah, in Rotterdam, you have to stand hours in line to to get a play at this machine. So it sounded pretty special, special to us already. He was, he was hyping it up quite a bit. And um, so we had a uh, when we sat down for dinner that, that night and the machine was installed, we had a had a look at the attract mode and it looked very very striking. Uh, I, I still remember the sketch uh, sketch like character portraits mm. and the the little bios and, and everything. And of course, there's the um, the demonstration of the of the different magic uh, uses and everything. Um, mm. I think we might have just thrown in. Uh, couple of credits before we left but it wasn't much and we weren't particularly good at uh, games at the time so we I, I don't think we made it very far um but that 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 memory always uh, really stuck by me and it i think yeah it's uh it was a very visually striking and arresting game at the time already the mega drive port passed me by because i didn't mm. have one uh oh. but together with Gunstar Heroes calling back to that episode it was one of the first uh, games I uh, acquired on uh, the Wii Virtual Console right okay so you played the uh, the, the PAL version on there mm. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well yeah. I played that on the Mega Drive back in the day yeah um, we, we didn't know any better but uh, yeah Carl what about you yeah mine, mine's probably what regular listeners are going to expect uh being brought up on the seaside towns in the north and the south of the country um i was quite often in the arcades as a young lad because to quieten them downtown they'd try and put me on the penny pushers but i'd be the one trying to push onto these you know more attractive stand-up fighting or beam up brawlers that were starting to take place in the uh the late 80s early 90s and by this point i'd already played the likes of double dragon and, and kind of liked it and then Suddenly I noticed this golden axe machine and decided to spend quite a bit of my parents' and grandparents' money uh, putting credits in because I was awful at it because 
unlike Dan, we didn't find one <laughs> that had all the <laughs> lives and credits. It was brutal, brutally difficult mm. uh, in our arcade. But it was it was fun. And then, it, you know, I'd, I'd been around the arcades my whole life, um, up through, you know, through my teens until the arcade sort of disappeared. And Gold Max was always one of those staples of an arcade. You know, it was there alongside the likes of OutRun and Chase HQ. And uh, I think it was pretty much impossible to to be around arcades uh, through the sort of early to mid-90s and not see a Golden Axe machine. So it's fair to say I spent a fair bit of my youth playing it. And then one day my friend picked it up on the Master System. <laughs> and I uh, always remember it for the, not not just the game, arguably more painful was the box art um, for the, for the Master <laughs> yeah, System version. Yeah, quite a lot of... Uh... <laughs> Quite, yeah, of, of all the versions, and and this yeah. is a game that's had some pretty horrendous box art yeah. in various forms over the years. But the Master System one was, uh, yeah, it's wow. not pretty. Um, no. And and then mm. I later found another friend who had the Master System version, so I actually sort of went reverse situation on the on the release order. Um, you know, I, I did the arcade first, then Master System, then uh, Mega Drive later on. But mm. yeah, a, a lot of my youth went into playing uh, Golden Axe in various forms. I was slightly older, of course, because that's the, the way the story always goes. But um, I actually remember very specifically my early, my initial experiences with the Golden Axe arcade machine. I remember where it was on the Brighton Pier, or the Palace Pier, as it was known then. Um, it was on the left as you went round the slightly sticky-outy bit in among, I think it was just ahead of uh, Capcom games like Dynasty uh, Warriors. Not Dynasty Warriors. What was that one called? Uh, the The... Capcom one with with horses. It was pre Dynasty Warriors, anyway. Oh, it says Dynasty something. It's War- Dynasty Warriors of Fate. Oh, I think it might have had more than one name. Yeah, it was definitely probably. called Dynasty something over here. Anyway, it was it was from that era, and they had a Strider machine there. And I remember, um, you know, I've mentioned a few different friends, um, gaming friends of, of youth over the years, but this is uh, a guy who I don't think I've ever mentioned before. I remember specifically playing this in two-player with Mark. I remember uh, chain-smoking Benson and Hedges. Um, I remember the 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 smell of the the sea wafting chips and vinegar across my nose and the smell of burnt electronics and all that sort of thing i remember very vividly the um the colors and the sounds of this arcade machine i remember the the way we used to read the um the between level bits out to each other sort of telling each other a story in a very tongue-in-cheek fashion we were 17 years old and and whatever else but um i remember he was always uh the dwarf he was uh, somewhat shorter than me i remember i was uh, always tyrus um probably as much as anything because back in 1989 if you were a hormonal 17 year old it wasn't (laughs) that easy to look at loads of uh female flesh so um yeah uh (laughs) that that, i I gotta be honest that was part of it uh but also i liked her her mood um, and I remember going from the initial stages of just, you know, sort of walking into people and uh, and just doing the standard, you know, combo and then working out that you could jump up in the air and they were quite susceptible to jumping attacks. And then we worked out if you press two buttons together, you could do a reverse attack. Then later we discovered the double tap sprint and so on and so forth. And um, I've bought this game. I, I've literally lost count the number of times, pretty much every release, except some of the remakes and uh, uh, sort of reimaginings. I've had, I've got no experience with. But when it comes to the original Golden Axe, I've bought it pretty much every time it's come out on various systems for Mega Drive. I must have owned the Mega Drive version at least three or four times in different uh, Japanese and, and compilation cartridges and, and whatever. Um, and yeah, the honest truth is that I believe very 
firmly that of the literally many thousands of video games I've played over almost 40 years, I've completed Golden Axe more times than any other game uh, by some distance. Um, why that is, uh, is partly because it's short, but I think there's more to it than that. And hopefully we'll we'll work out what that is because I'm not going to try and say, you know, it's my favourite game of all time or it's like an all-time classic that's never aged because I don't believe that at all. But it is the game I've played through and possibly even fired up more than just because you're a masochist? No, it's because I really, really like it. And, uh, you know, I got really good at it and I'm still pretty good at it, uh, you know, one crediting and, and all that sort of thing. So, wow. yeah, at least when I got five health bars anyway. <laughs> uh, so, yes, this was the summer of 89, June 89 by Sega AM1. And uh, this was on their System 16B arcade machine, uh, which was a, a Motorola 68000 CPU uh, in tandem with a Zilog Z80 processor, which is a similar setup to or pretty much the same setup as Capcom uh, took on for their CPS machines. Was Team Shinobi an early, an uh, informal name? Based on the research, I think this was um, Team Shinobi or pretty much uh, whether they were actually called that, they probably weren't. But I think it was in terms of the coders and the artists, I think it was mainly the team behind the Shinobi arcade machine. Mm. Yeah. Um, But it was headed by Makoto Uchida, whose only previous game was Altered Beast. And indeed, the chicken leg uh, rideable Bizarrean um, Mount made its debut in Altered Beast. Altered Beast was incredibly visually impressive at the time, um, but uh, it, it was never a game that I particularly enjoyed playing. Um, but Golden Axe, um, I think, at least made some steps in terms of being sort of accessible and not completely, <laughs> completely frustrating. Um, the famous themes are composed by Toru Nakabayashi. And obvious influences of the game include Conan the Barbarian, uh, Tolkien stuff, high fantasy, obviously. Dragon Quest, the the, the, the Enix games, obviously a big influence. Double Dragon, um, Sega were certainly very keen um, to muscle in on the sort of progressive beat-em-up scene. This was pre-Streets of Rage, of course, Bare Knuckle. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts, um, there is an enemy in the game that is... Ray Harryhausen's skeleton from that uh, 60s movie version of the Greek fantasy. And you've also got the fantasy art of Boris Vallejo and Frank Rosetta, most obviously in the depiction of the Amazon warrior wearing not many clothes. Um, The game was known as Battle Axe. Um, and it sort of still is. And if if you look at the title screen, the kanji there is pretty much the closest translation is Battle Axe. Um, they were going to call it Broad Axe at some stage during development, but Sega USA apparently insisted uh, on quite a late name change. Um, uh, as I read it, there's some there was some resistance from the development team, but uh, Sega USA said they wouldn't release it unless it was called Golden Axe. Interesting. Don't know why. I wonder if they would have released it as Battle Axe, because that sounds like a name that would have sold in the States. I can see Broad Axe being a yeah. bit yeah. odd and bland for the Western market, but... yeah. But it's weird that they kept the kanji in the first place. I can't quite yeah. get my head around all that. No, it's, it's it's an odd one, but it is known as Golden Axe everywhere, um, even in even in Holland. I assume you always get the anglicised versions of yep. game names. Yeah. Or Golden Axe. <laughs> Golden, Golden Axe. Axe. Um, what, what would Golden Axe be in, in your language? Just so as we know. Golden Bell. Oh, see, I like it. Uh, Makoto Uchida, speaking to Retro Gamer magazine, um, said, when we reached the final stages of the development of Altered Beast, 
Our boss asked our team to come up with a new game. The given proposition was an action game that ran on Alter Beast System 16 board with similar gameplay to Technos Double Dragon, which was a popular arcade game at the time. My idea was to come up with a Double Dragon that was not a Double Dragon. Technos was an experienced rival who had been working on the Kunio Kun series, or Renegade as we know that game over here, so there was no way we could compete if we did the same thing as them. I had a feeling that arcade games should be competitive against the great hit console title Dragon Quest, created by Enix, and therefore studied the world of magic and swords combined this with the gameplay of double dragon and finally came up with the concept of golden axe talking about that attract mode there there is a slight difference if you play the uh the japanese um region version on the sega vintage collection uh that was released for uh, uh 360 uh three or four years ago you you can uh, you can see the original arcade intro which has one little extra very very brief scene um, with a bloody beheading of a Heninja uh, by by Axe Battler, and also when you do your character select, the words uh, player select are literally dripping with blood. It's far more reminiscent of something like um, Palace's Barbarian mm. for the eight and sixteen bit computers. It's it's uh, whereas the the version we're probably most of us are used to playing on the Mega Drive is quite sanitary. There's very little sort of sign of combat it's very it feels very sort of um sort of like uh, peter jackson's hobbit sort of level of, <laughs> of uh of, of combat and gore but the original was obviously intended to be a bit more conan um which was yeah a, a, a more uh visceral sort of thing but yes the scenario and the setting uh was your classic high fantasy um and really yeah very fanciful um obviously huge influences from tolkien but i remember I don't know about you, even though I knew it was kind of silly, I was a 17-year-old um, kid. I loved the fact that you you went on the back of a giant turtle and then on the back of a giant eagle and fought levels. It was, it was you know, there were a lot of these gritty urban beat-em-ups already at this time, uh, Crime Busters and Double Dragon and whatever. And it was somehow really refreshing to be in this really uh, bright, colourful and, yeah, totally sort of fantastical uh, scenario. The developers mentioned, of course, in the retro game interview, uh, Uchida mentioned that um, they wanted to see if they could compete with uh, console RPGs like Dragon Quest. Mm. And um, I think in that sense, they kind of succeeded since the game feels like a proper journey from uh, from beginning to end. I was very much into the fighting fantasy books at the time, ah, at the age that I was. So um, mm. it very much sort of tied into that. And like you say, there wasn't much before then that had been in that style. Um, Rastan is kind of stands out as yeah. one that might have yeah. been something on the way on the way to Definitely. that and uh, reading about dragon quest i wondered if any other of the arcade sort of medieval style fantasy things had been in- inspired in the same way but um mm. i guess mm. we'll never know that but um yeah the setting what it did stand out in an arcade especially with those sort of the thunderous war drums that you could kind of hear from mm. from a distance away i know that's a different mm. part entirely but it's all part of how that machine sort of drew me into it with the sort of fantasy art and and yeah this just sound of war drums calling me in yeah, I did a sort of uh, selected uh, family tree, and I, I think in the same way as um, Spartan X or Kung Fu Master, which was pure side-on 2D, kind of gave birth to Kunio-kun and Double Dragon. I think Rasan Saga and the Legendary Axe or Makio Densetsu on the PC Engine, which were more side-scrolly, you know, 2D action platformers. I think in some ways they gave birth to to this type of game. But the one that, um, the two that popped in, into my head from both from 1988 that 
um, probably didn't have a, a necessarily a direct influence, but certainly come from a similar place, was the second barbarian game by Palace, The Dungeon of Drax, mm. which was an arcade adventure with uh, big monsters, beat up elements. You could play as either uh, the warrior... Uh, as depicted by Wolf from Gladiators or <laughs> the sort of Amazon woman as depicted by Page 3 stunner Maria Whittaker. And then there was also the same year, there was a game called Sword of Sodan, which was on the uh, Amiga, Mac and Mega Drive. And it was a really clunky game to play, but it was, uh, although it was pure side-on 2D, it had, for the time, massive controllable characters and massive enemy sprites. And this was properly gory, definitely hugely inspired by Conan with lots of um, sort of gory traps and, and beheadings and things like that, as I recall. But it really Golden wasn't Axe. very good. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. I think I'd got sort of lured into the sort of Golden Axe look and vibe and I thought everything was going to be that and I traded in I think three import Mega Drive games for an import copy of Sword of Sodan and Ooh. I got home and I've never felt so sort of you know when the pit of your stomach just yeah. uh, just drops from the moss. Yeah. I bet they were laughing the moment that you left that star <laughs> oh, yeah I'm pretty Stuck sure the lock on. he's not coming back in <laughs> and, and you were probably telling yourself like uh, it's not that but it, it's pretty good it's pretty good until you really couldn't lie yeah. to yourself yeah anymore. that's yeah. the thing you kind of yeah you um, especially that the first little opening bit seems like it's going to be quite a good game and it looks yeah. in still screenshots at least it yeah. looks really good um yeah i got stuckered with that one when you put it on the list i thought to myself i'd forgot i'd forgotten all about it and i was like yeah. thanks leon that's uh <laughs> that's that's memories as far as uh, art and visual design goes with Tolkien is mentioned of course but i what what i find so uh refreshing about uh golden x especially in in hindsight because as you say in the time there were a lot more Conan the Barbarian uh, inspired inspired uh, games. Nowadays, um, all, all fantasy uh, themes and games are pretty much talking, direct talking influenced. And uh, yeah. in Golden Axe, I sense a lot more of the influence of uh, Robert E. Howard. If you look at the main three characters and if you look at the enemies as well, like, it's all very primal uh, in a sense. Uh, very mm. uh, more heroic fantasy than, uh, than high fantasy, uh, I would say. So right, you, yeah. you got these ha half naked uh, men and women, you know, yeah. all muscle bound walking around, and uh, absolutely, it's a, it's yeah. kind of like a, this raw combination of sex, violence, and savagery. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and and um, and I think one of the the stipulations that uh, that Uchida San had was that every enemy in the game would carry some sort of weapon. So everyone's, yeah. I think, everyone's got either a club, a sword an axe yeah um a cudgel something um there's i don't think there's any there's is there not even one enemy that has is, is pure fisty cuffs they've all got something um, yeah i mean there's only seven i think so, seven enemy types but with lots of palette swaps going on um but we'll come on to the enemies in a minute one the thing i wanted to say about the the visual design is still specifically talking about the original um i've been back to all there's four core games in the series we'll talk a little bit about all the others later um apart from the the arcade sequel which was only ever an arcade sequel um revenge of death adder uh this remains the most colorful game in the series i think uh, to my eyes anyway it's um and it's sort of ludicrous the way that you know the like you know gilius is wearing this bright green stuff and the and axe battler has his bright blue boots on and you know it's not it's not realistic at all. It is mm. pure, pure sort of uh, whimsy that they would be dressed like this. But that I think 
for me that's what gives it part of its charm you yeah. know obviously these days we have the you know graphical fidelity and realism to be able to do uh, more authentic looking stuff and i was watching some footage of uh, the latest witcher 3 stuff the other day and they've gone in in the in this final dlc uh, blood and wine they've gone for this very hyper sort of saturated look and it actually reminded me of golden axe a little bit in it in how colorful it is even if other bits of which are, are actually you know much more down the the sort of gritty and you know uh functional look of, of armor and things like this what struck me was um how colorful the mega drive version is compared to the arcade version at uh-huh. the time i don't think I'd, um, i um i guess the, sort of the limited palette of the mega drive kind of um drove that that they couldn't have such a sort of um not subtlety is not the word because the arcade version is hardly <laughs> subtle you get like purple <laughs> floors and all sorts but um yeah yeah but it looks sort of um washed not washed out in a bad way but kind of like muted kind of a watercolory thing mm. to uh to the arcade aesthetic um and then i suppose that makes their boots and their costumes stand out all the more <laughs> but you need your red green and blue for the that's how you differentiate on the screen isn't it for- yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you've got bright pink uh bizarians you know you've got uh, one, one of the dragons which is called i think red dragon is more like a purpley deep pink dragon um and the blue one is yeah the blue one's blue but the chicken legs pink and yeah the enemies are you know when their <clears throat> their palette swap from golden to to pinks to and it, and yeah it's it's really silly um but i have an enormous amount of affection for it um yeah. and i think i think the sequels kind of miss it in a way by by attempting something slightly more gritty for want of a better better mm. word if you ever mm. wanted the mega drive version to look incredible go to it after the master system version um mm. because because it's it's one of those things where um it, it tricks the mind that when you played them in the order that I did, that when you play in the master, uh, the Mega Drive version, you're actually playing an arcade perfect version until, of course, you see the arcade version and you realise, mm. no, it is nowhere near that yet. But it was that much better than the Master System version, which was hideous. But yeah, I, I, I quite like the look of the um, Mega Drive version. I think it's aged worse than, say, Double Dragon, um, in that mm. Double Dragon looked like it was sort of really pushing what systems could do, what the arcade systems could do at that time. Uh, and it was really controlled. Whereas, um, as, similar to sort of Dan was saying, that, that there was more control in the Master, uh, in the Mega Drive version. I'll get these the right way around eventually. In the Mega Drive version of Golden Axe, because they were working towards their limitations, whereas in the arcade edition, there didn't seem to be that level of control. It was all a bit, at times, a little bit all over the place. So for me, um, yeah... I, I always have an affinity for the for the arcade version, but I don't ever think it was sort of it, it was never really the the graphic style that sort of lured me towards it. Even though at the time, uh, I, they, I remember the likes of Red Sonja and Conan the Barbarian just being mm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and uh, I've mentioned on past shows that one game I used to play in the arcade a lot was Gauntlet, and. It, for some reason, I always pictured Golden Axe as sort of the 2D side-on version of me playing Gauntlet, even yeah. though they were so different. Yeah. It was just that fantasy sort of thing with the axes and, and, and whatnot that I, I always Absolutely. found sort of attractive. No, I still have that. I was a massive Gauntlet fan, still am. And yeah, totally, yeah. you've got these primary coloured um, archetypal fantasy types. Um, yeah, uh, and obviously Gauntlet was kind of more of a shoot 'em up RPG yeah. top-down. This was, this was a side-on brawler, but it totally it had a very similar vibe for me. The music um, is something that has stayed with me as well. I know all the tunes off by heart um, from the, you know, the famous yeah. title screen. 
and you know the attract mode with its uh, whizzing whizzing letters and and all that sort of thing um bit Have of they been going sky. through your head the past couple of days as you've been sort of just walking around uh, pretty much the last yes. um, 27 years. Uh, <laughs> it's, That's quite it's, the earworm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, it, yeah. A lot of those, a lot of those tunes. But yes, very much so. I've been back to uh, all of these games um, in the last few weeks uh, and completed them all multiple times, all over again. And yeah, the, the a lot of the Golden Axe tunes. Um, yeah, just just uh really really like them um there was some discussion uh regular contributor glenn glenn watts saying that he really doesn't like the sound of the mega drive versions but i always thought they were they were pretty decent um recreations in some ways for instance like the between level um uh tune the jingle that plays on the yeah. map is actually slightly crisper on the um on the on the mega drive version than it, than the slightly crunchy version of, of the arcade but um but yeah, the, the the arcade has a bit more uh, a bit more oomph to it and a bit more bottom end overall, as you'd expect from the sound chip. Especially the the sound effects fall fall kind of flat in comparison on the on the Mega Drive version. It's uh, yeah, they're a li- they're a little lightweight by comparison. Yeah. It's true, yeah. um, and obviously, yeah, we'll come on to the sound effects and the samples. But um, yeah, the the actual the the clangs and the and the thumps are, are not quite as beefy, and there's fewer fewer sound effects but i think the tunes you know the tunes to me sound like the tunes they're 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 not um it's it's easy to forget but a lot of times um you know back in in these these days uh, arcade conversions would be you know unrecognizable or or near near unrecognizable and we'll talk about the computer versions later but talking about the master system version which was obviously handled by sega um you know they had to significantly downgrade the the music to uh, an 8-bit chips and i think they they actually did an all right job yeah it wasn't that bad no, but the, but the, you know the, those are the eight bit versions, and later on we got some CD style versions, and yeah, there's there's umpteen versions of this soundtrack you can listen to. David Whittaker did the Amiga version, didn't he? I think. Yeah, and Jerome Tell did the the Commodore sixty four version. So wow. yeah, it's it, it it's crazy, sort of when you you look between the formats, particularly with sort of Sega games in in the nineties, uh, the different teams of composers that would work per format. It was you know it wasn't coming out with the, necessarily the same house. The sort of had the blueprint and had to try and recreate it in the best manner possible and and uh, as a result obviously some versions don't have some of the same music but um you know the sort of that iconic golden axe theme that everyone sort of knows it almost feels like a dynamic soundtrack i know it can't ever be because it's just tracks playing alongside yeah. a level but um they do the music does fit the backgrounds and the sort of feel of the build-up of the progression of the game well, there are transitions, aren't there, where the sky changes colour or um, a couple of bits where sort of special effects kick in, like the feathers on the back of the eagle and the sky, yeah, the sky darkens or whatever, and the music just sort of fades out and then fades back into a different tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got a real it's got a real um, driving sort of rhythm behind it, um, and, and I think it, it strikes a nice balance of sounding sort of appropriate to the the setting and the scenario, but without being kind of hackneyed or, or stodgy. Um, I think the the tunes to me always, you know, they still sound, again, I, I'm probably in, in some ways, and this is for, for my summary as much as anything, I'm not the best judge of this because I have played this game so much um, mm. that it's now just like, it's no longer something that I can have an, a proper critical eye on, but I, I still think, you know, the fact that I've played it so much says something for it. Um 
but yeah, those tunes are just kind of yeah, they're just they're just locked in for me, and um, I've I've never got bored of them. Like that's that's something I can say. I've played through this game hundreds and hundreds of times, and I've there's there's no tune in the game where I've thought oh not that one again. Which, <laughs> which are, there's not many games I can say that for. But again, its brevity maybe maybe is something to do with that. For me, easily the most the two most memorable tunes are of course the stage one theme. Mm. and uh, the little jaunty tune that plays when the gnomes show up when you're just yeah. uh, chilling by the campfire but as much as that and and this game was you know going back to the palace pier in 1989 and and for the few months and even years after that playing it in the arcades it, it tended to be a, a game that was turned up quite loud we talked before on the final fight podcast about the sound of that laugh echoing across the arcade and that ringing phone um, but certainly the um, the sound of the magic on the on the attract mode was something that you could always pick out in among the the cacophony of the game um but the main thing was when other people were playing it before you were there were the samples of the death cries so these were um extremely bold uh in in multiple senses uh rips of samples from movies mainly conan um, but also the first Rambo film, First Blood, specifically the long moan. Uh, the enemy was called long moan and it has a long moan when it dies, which I assume <laughs> is some sort of uh, uh, joke. Um, sadly, long moan was reduced to same moan as everyone else in the Mega Drive version. But it's uh, it's from when um, one of uh, Rambo's traps uh, takes out one of the the guys who's hunting him in the in the the forest in in the first film um i think he sort of gets uh, like a uh, like a a trunk of spiked wood in his knees or so in his legs and something like that anyway he gets he gets properly impaled and he lets out this almighty scream and that is long moan's death and also there's uh, the sound of the villagers being kicked in which was another thing that i thought was really cool about this game was there there was sort of stuff happening yeah. um it wasn't just uh attract scene stuff like you know double dragon your girlfriend got punched and then carried away at the start of the game but in golden axe you would stumble across scenes of these you know death adders troops kind of ransacking villages and 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 things like this and and, and again one of the sound samples from one of the villagers being kicked in was uh, the sound of the guy falling out of the helicopter in slow-mo in first blood um, and i didn't recognize these these samples at the time i found out what they were later on there's videos on youtube sort of showing clips from one and then the other but i just remember the sound of long moan dying and it just being so satisfying um we used to think he was saying ah shit, but i think he's actually saying ah god yeah um but it's it's in a kind of um it's such in such a garbled pained fashion um but i would i'm, I'm going to use the word iconic for for the that particular sample use in a video game so there are three playable characters a barbarian who is based on conan uh, an Amazon warrior female who is based on the fantasy art we talked about before and a dwarf who is pretty much Gimli out of Lord of the Rings, but with a white beard. Um, they tried to uh, to incorporate three player simultaneous um, during development, but I think the software or the, yeah, the system, the arcade board could only handle something like six characters on screen at a time. So that would have severely reduced the number of enemies you could have, have, have had. So they cut it down to two. Some versions only had one um at a time um so who who were your i've already said i, I mainly play as tyrus um sometimes axe battler i've played this through hundreds of times as everybody 
I'm a Tyrus person as well. I've been through it um, like yourself so many times. I started off as um, Gilius Thunderhead and then played about with all three of them. But Tyrus is where I go just because of the higher magic. It's like I'm going to go for the big visual thing if I'm going to be playing it for the 3000th time. Well, that's it. Yes. Uh, Magic attacks. We'll we'll, we'll talk about those in a moment. But um, that was a huge part of it. Playing Tyrus for me was was her top end magic attack was spectacular um, art wise um, and a great a great rush of power. Uh, Mikhail, how about you? Tyrus and Gilius also. Yeah, somehow the uh, ex-battler seemed less interesting of a character to yeah. me. I like yeah. his reverse attack, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, always worth busting out a reverse in certain scenarios. Have they been used in anything else other than Double Dragon and Golden Axe, by the way? Well, Streets of Rage. Yeah, yeah I think there's num- numerous uh, beat-em-ups that have reverse attacks. I don't think Konami's beat-em-ups tended to have them. I don't think like Turtles and Simpsons or X-Men had... Um, no. had and of course the Capcom beat-em-ups had the uh, area of attack uh, yeah. things. Oh, yeah, That's not so much a reverse attack. I yeah. don't remember, but there's a, f- a few more obscure beat-em-ups if you're heavy into your main emulation, like uh, mm. Guardians, for example, which has crazy tons of moves. I always remember I didn't like the fact that Axe Battler didn't have an axe. So for that reason alone, I used Gilius in the arcade and I used Tyrus on the consoles. All right. Um, And looking at it now, I'm sure if people came to this game, uh, perhaps younger people as well, people who hadn't grown up with 8-bit games um, wouldn't see what I see. But uh, I still love the animation in this game. Like a lot of it is, you know, there aren't that many frames of animation, but... I remember um, you could, uh, at the end of the, the cutscenes between levels, uh, which I think a lot of people will remember, where um, the little the little gnomey thief dudes turn up, nick your stuff, and you can kick them in for uh, food and potions. They nick your potions, you can get more back off them. If you time it, if you timed it right, when that scene cuts out, it's uh, the sort of uh, the screen sort of uh, goes black in from the outside and you would uh your characters would freeze as that happened and because at the time this animation seemed so luxurious and and uh sort of broad in its scope we used to try to get different frames showing when the pause happened um so it was very exciting for instance to see that some of the frames when they're twirling you could actually see like mo- what would be now, you know, a 3D motion blur effect. This would be, you know, several sprites of the sword drawn it or well, it's just one sprite. But effectively, it would look like there were multiple swords in the air or you could get them. Once we realized that you could kind of get a double height, high attack by running and then jumping, we would, you know, sort of try to be doing the overhead smash as we as we came down and paused. Um, this was seriously exciting stuff back in 1989, the, the level of sort of art and, and realism and dynamism on show the, the the weapons feel 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 heavy the way they uh, handle them and uh, and they swing and maybe less so with tyrus but her reversal attack is a very gracious uh, swing as well like, yeah or she just yeah. it's like the classic you would you would expect uh, that that weapon swing to be uh, to be a uh, lopping an enemy's head off uh, as in as it did in barbarian yeah it's very much a barbarian move isn't it yeah yeah it reminds me of uh, lightsaber combat as well. Here yeah. we were six years after Return of the Jedi. It sort of had that sort yeah. of feel about it, obviously without the, the laser uh, element going on. In the standard combo, of course, they also uh, have the, the little, you know, butt the enemy over the head oh. with, uh, with the butt of the, uh, uh, of the weapon itself. And there's uh, some really nice variations going on there. 
again, the animation is so simple on this, but I still love it. it it's really slow and stodgy by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, so much so that they even sped it up in virtually all the sequels. But there's something really weighty about that, especially, you know, you get, get one of the, the Henningers with its helmet down or, or a, a skeleton and that halfway through a combo where you do the butt smash, crack, crack, I still, it's still, I still find it hugely enjoyable, even though obviously, you know, hundreds of games have come out since with way more elaborate combat systems and, uh, and spectacular animation. But it's just, it's one of those things that for me is just beautifully simple, but perfectly effective at what it's trying to portray. Especially when you look at how basic something like Double Dragon was. Mm. And then you then you look at this and you you see how far it sort of come on in, in terms of that combat. But I always, true, I always found that um, like if you played the Master System version, it was mm. nowhere near as responsive as the arcade. The Mega right. Drive one always seemed like it was more responsive than the arcade, mm. which was kind of weird. Yeah, a few people say that it's just slightly uh, yeah slightly speedier if if you're not playing the PAL version, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would like to contest slightly also that Double Dragon was more basic than that because you actually do have more moves in, in Double Dragon. Anyone who's ever uh, one credit complete com- uh, clear Double Dragon knows that you only need one move anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That is very true. The, the, Whereas the, Golden Axe, we'll, we'll come on to the combat and the strategies. Um, although, you know, again, by by modern standards, it would probably be, and even later scrolling beat-em-up standards that would come in the next few years, it would be considered very simple now. Yeah. Um, there are strategies per enemy and per screen that you need to employ to get through without losing lives, whereas Double Dragon, you can pretty much elbow smash your way through the entire game. Even as in Streets of Rage 2, I was, you know, I was playing Streets of Rage 2 the other day again for the millionth time, which is probably the game that I've completed the most times other than Golden Axe. And, you know, there are a couple of moves in that game that even after having played that thousands of times, it's like, oh, yeah, I've forgotten you could do that. Like the, the yeah. holding down kick move. Yeah, it also comes down to someone's playing style, right? Like what moves totally, feel, com- yeah. feel comfortable to you. So you might you might use a whole different type of movesets or a whole different sequence of attacks than I do, for example. Yeah. Well, let's stay on this and, and, and talk about the magic again afterwards, because I think the, the combat and the strategy is ultimately what the game is. And... As I say, I've played this game a ludicrous number of times and the standard technique, if there is one, is involves the charge move, which is the double tap run towards and hit attack button. Um, it's a flying kick for Tyrus uh, and it's a sort of headbutt shoulder charge um, for Gilius and a shoulder charge for Axe Battler. And you can engineer a situation in on most screens, uh, especially once you've whittled down one enemy, that you can go between the two um, and and just hit them over again and again. There are certain caveats. You have to wait so that they're on the screen enough to actually make contact with them. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the most frustrating things in the game, I'd say, is um, hitting the edge of the screen before making contact with the enemy. Um, and that can vary depending on the scrolling of, of the section that you're in. Um, but it's not a universal panacea that particular strategy because there are areas where different combinations of enemies will come in and they'll take advantage and and um the ai is is a mixed bag let's say because again compared to other games of the time i mean we'd already had double dragon a couple of years ago and in that enemies would try to sort of encircle you and they do that in this now perhaps one of the most famous shortcomings of the enemies in golden axe is that they will happily follow you and walk off the edge to their death yeah. now i find this <laughs> that's another charming. strategy <laughs> yeah i find this incredibly sweet and amusing and i still again this is 
this is me this is this will not be everyone's experience but the bit at the start of the second level where they come on uh the the red enemies come on from the right as you're walking onto the back of the turtle you can get them to charge right off the screen every single (laughs) time uh 27 years i've been playing this game uh it's now june yes june 2016 27 years i'm still not bored of them doing that no i don't think I'm sure you know most people just think it was stupid, but I find it <laughs> I find it comical, and I like or you know if they do the charge and then you just nip round the side and hit them once to get round the other yeah. side of them and then double and then shoulder charge them off the edge again still hugely satisfying for me. It's one of those things I always feel dead smug when I do it because Ooh. I'm tricking the AI. Even though it's really stupid. Even yeah. though it's really stupid, <laughs> but then I'll do something even more stupid and I'll try and walk around it, but. I don't want to take the long way around, so you sort of end up cutting the corner and falling off yourself. Falling off the edge, did it the other day. You're like, that's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, 27 (laughs) years I've been playing this game and and I walked off the edge the other day. Uh, You know, it it can happen. (laughs) (laughs) Especially on the the boardwalk uh, after the eagle. That's a very tiny, tiny boardwalk section. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and this game also has um the first one of these I saw was in in Double Dragon uh famously the um we need to get people to put more coins in at this point bridge. Yeah. Uh, where umpteen times I lost lives just walking into that water or not jumping from near enough to the edge and Golden Axe has a couple of those moments uh, especially if you're riding a dragon where you want to do the dash run to get right to the edge yeah. and then and then hop over the gap and it's easy when you know how really it's pretty you know you you won't fail it maybe you know one in a million times if you're being sloppy but you most probably will if you play it for the first time but yeah, yeah exactly yeah and it was totally about um annoying players enough that uh not so much that they would walk away from the machine but that they wanted to see what was what was coming next and and again you know this would be considered uh you know appalling game design by today's standards but you know this was a 1980s arcade machine similarly i see a lot of kind of I, I want to say trash talk about um kind of gaming scrolling beat-em-ups from this era yet sometimes these are from the lips of the same people who will think nothing of exploiting weaknesses in a dark souls boss and it's exactly the same fundamentals of gameplay so for instance if you get a skeleton and i, I think they're a bit smarter about this in the mega drive version but in the arcade version on fiend's path on the back of the eagle a skeleton will come towards you at the edge of a li- the lip of of a ledge and you just hit it in the legs over and over and over again until it dies. And you, the skeletons ha, are faster than all the other enemies. They do double the damage of all the other enemies. And at times you have to fight up to three of them at once. And this is a challenge. So gaming the AI is what progressive beat-em-ups are actually all about as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Kiting knowledge, off the isn't edges. It? That, that, it, yeah. it comes down to user knowledge and beating the system. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've always thought, thought that that was a charming element. You know, I'll do it in... I'll do it in Golden Axe, I'll do it in Double Dragon, I'll do it in Streets of Rage, I'll do it in Final Fight. I don't care. I'm beating the game. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm beating the system. It, it's, trying to, it's trying to rob me out of my money. I'm trying <laughs> to rob it out of its difficulty. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing is, and it's really cool that you uh, actually touch upon this point because I had it uh, written down as well as a, as a note. The only drawback that doesn't make it as charming to me is that it, makes, uh, it doesn't make for a very cinematic uh, combat experience. So <laughs> yeah. you're pulling off all this dumb stuff and it looks kind of dumb of course, of course you're winning yeah. uh, and in that sense uh, if you draw the lineage all the way to where we're at now and I 
I'm not gonna. I didn't actually consider Dark Souls in there, but if you look at modern day beat 'em ups, and then I'm talking about the likes of uh, Ninja Gaiden or Bayonetta, uh, yeah. Bayonetta totally. Actually, yeah. the showboating and making grand combos is the key to winning the uh, to winning the game uh, in a stylish uh, uh, manner as Absolutely. possible. So I think in that sense, uh, huge improvements have been made over the course. But this is why I raise the Souls games, um, yeah. because they have to yeah. be raised in every podcast, but mainly because <laughs> when I see people talking about, and again, I say, if people haven't heard before, I'm not really a Souls expert at all. When I see people talking about how they uh, roll around a certain enemy over and over again, it's all yeah. about rolling around or, you know, kiting it into a certain corner where it can't hit you, but you can hit it. I'm just thinking, yeah, this is this is what we used to do in scrolling beat-em-ups, if it would let us. It's not going to have happened yeah. by accident. Those things, these games have been play tested. That yeah. it, they, they're going to know that that's part of your gameplay experience is trying to find these exploits and trick it, and or think totally. you've tricked it at least. There's the other side of things, of course, where ex- exploiting becomes a major factor in stuff like speedruns, which are arguably more popular than they've ever been to watch, um, where it's all mm. about finding the best exploits. Mm. Uh, so it, it, you know, I, I've never understood people that sort of jump up on the high horse and say, "Oh, you shouldn't be doing that," or "You're playing it wrong." No, I'm just playing it in a manner of speaking. There, are, there's more than one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, again, perhaps the the key skill to getting through Golden Axe on as few lives and credits as possible is learning the timings of the enemies' wake ups, mm. which then takes you into the realm of the street fighter style beat em up and here here we were obviously uh post street fighter one which you know hadn't made a big impression um but pre street fighter two and now you know when people are playing the latest fighting games on the on the scene mm-hmm. they're talking about you know timing making these incredible uh you know attacks by timing when people are going to be available to hit effectively and this is much you know a much simpler version of that you know that for instance the final boss death adder um, once you get him in a certain situation, he is completely cheesable as long as you can time his wake up about mm. 15 times in a row. You never even have to take a hit because you can either do the charge or the overhead attack and he will fall for it over and over again. Yeah. And exactly as you say, Mikhail, you can jam it, him in the top left corner as well. And that, yeah, and occasionally his AI mm. farts out and he doesn't even do anything yeah, anymore. Yeah, he just but, stands there. Yeah, yeah but. Um, and again, I totally agree with Mikhail that this does not make for a cool-looking scene. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not. This is not. Um, you know, this is this is not the Helm's Deep in the Two Towers. This is you know, this is more like some sort of uh, comedy sketch. You know, people can compare it to uh, Dark Souls or Bayonetta, etc., et and they're, they're fair comparisons. But they're something you're paying a money up front for and playing at home. This is something where you're leaving the house and you're on a limited amount of time and arguably an even more limited amount of money. <laughs> and yeah. if you want to see the ending, you've got to come with some sort of tactics. And if but it, of course, if, it, if it's not yeah. coming with someone who's got more money with you and running around behind him whilst he fights all the enemies in two-player mode, then you need to know some strategies. Uh, for single player player and, and a lot of it tends to come down to cheesing you know we mentioned on the final fight show the final fight was um so it built the groundwork for street fighter 2 uh, in terms of its wake-ups and, and, and its counters and stuff and if you watch anybody playing uh, golden axe to a high level and as with any game someone will always play something to a high level 
Um, you can run like dash attacks, but it's all about making sure that when the enemy's knocked back, he stays in screen and not out of screen so that That's you right. can make contact yeah. with him again. And he can, mm-hmm. because they can make contact with you when they're out of the screen, but you'll struggle to hit them. Um, and, it, and it's maintaining that distance and control of where they land and, of course, the timing of their wake up to hit them immediately again afterwards. It is fascinating. It looks really basic and arguably by today's standards feels really basic to play, mm. but there is elements of control where you need to know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. and then... Timing is uh, really of the essence of the game, especially when we take the beasts uh, and they use the beasts in account. Mm. So when the, the blue dragon and the chicken leg uh, are kind of similar in that they have a, a, f- a fairly short range attack yeah. uh, that's very powerful and, and knocks the enemy down I- uh, instantly and does a ton of damage. Mm. But time it wrong and you're wide open for a you're counter off. attack yeah. and you're going to yeah. get knocked off the, off the creature. But once you get the timing down really impeccably, you can take out huge masses of enemies. Uh, and um, I also like to, for example, with the cockatrice or the the chicken leg thing, mm-hmm. uh, I like to really lay waste to the first two bald-headed giant bosses in the in the first stage, and just by running in between yeah. them and yeah. uh, doing the, the running uh, yeah. running dash attack with the with the creature, actually. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a, another layer that, that's there to be to be played with. The pink dragon, the one that spits fireballs. Yeah, um, you know, it's such an asset. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a win button while you've got it, but yeah. it's you only get it when there's normally three or four enemies on screen. So much of this game is also, and and I think it is quite pernickety um, about lining up for attacks in this yeah. uh, in this game compared to a lot of uh, you know brawlers that followed um i think it's one of its key idiosyncrasies that people would find difficult today but a lot of this game strategy is moving around on the diagonal um lining things up and making sure that you've dragged enemies out of position it becomes almost like football strategy or something in the in that you're trying to get the defense out of position so it can't line up and make a tackle on you while you're while you're on your dragon because you don't take damage when when you uh, when you're on a bizarrean but if you get any hit you get knocked off and if they get if you get knocked off three times or four times the bizarrean the bizarrean legs it off the screen this is a game with uh, with friendly fire, and and as I recall, it's a key part of the experience is uh, actually keeping out of range of each other's attacks and, and mm. managing the screen space, because um, some some of the areas are quite uh, closed in. You know, you go through uh, relatively narrow pathways at points, and it's very easy to get suckered into taking each other out. And and again, in a home version, it might not see it would you know it will seem mildly irksome. But back at the arcades when yeah. you're a teenager <laughs> um, and you're on a limited budget, this is. You know, this is potentially friendship ending. You know, yeah. so. it, it, the game does lack something when you don't have someone screaming into your ear. What are you hit me with your axe for? What are you hit me with your axe? <laughs> Health pickups are incredibly scarce in this game. There's uh, there's a few little green dudes who pop up once in a while, normally yeah. between levels. Um, generally, your health is getting whittled down, and it, it's it's properly painful still um, if you get. You know, uh, you can get sort of trapped in between two skeletons, and unless you've got some magic, or you're very, very quick on a charge attack, and uh, or diagonaling at a diag, yeah, you can. I think you can pretty much get trapped so that you can't extricate yourself from a sequence of attacks, which is incredibly frustrating. Um, They're again, not afraid to use exploits themselves against you, are they? That's so it, you need yeah. to that, that's, fight fire with fire. It's one thing the game is missing is when you get downed and say lose one of your lives it doesn't have the sort of knockback effect of when you respawn and all enemies hit the floor which is um like streets of rage and final fight Mm. and and 
probably uh, almost every game I can think of that was a Came progressive later. brawler after uh, yeah. Golden Axe. Um, and when you go back to it now, it's incredibly frustrating when you keep getting knocked back down into the same situation and you've got sort of very little scope to get out, especially if you've got no spells. Yeah, it, yeah. it's worth saying again, and, and, you know, I'm not... We make some of these podcasts not because we're saying, you know, necessarily obviously we'll do our summary but we're not necessarily saying you know everyone has to play golden axe because yeah. it's an all-time classic like there's loads of things about this game that people will find really irksome um today and possibly not even enjoy it in the slightest but i think i think that's probably a high chance of people that yeah, haven't yeah, played yeah. It probably wouldn't enjoy this game and but yet the four of us sit yeah. here talking about a game that yeah. has made up such an important part of our youth that we're always going to look on some elements of it fondly that no one's going to be able to relate to if they've, if they've not played it but you know yeah, absolutely it's, that, that's yeah. what we do we we, we discuss New yeah, it's, it's part of the history uh the history of it and um yeah this so this is uh if if we take spartan x as the kind of first progressive fighting game i think it's widely considered to be that mm. that was 1984 this was 1989 so we we're only four years into this genre yeah and in fact it was probably the next four years five years from 1989 where capcom in particular took up the mantle and ran with it and we'll talk a little bit about some of the games that it made that are mm. kind of you yeah. know, spiritual successors to, to Golden Axe in many well, ways. It, it's like in terms of progressive brawlers, if you were to name a list of them, you can say that this was early on, but there's still not been, you know, you'd still struggle out to make a ten, a list of 10 truly groundbreaking sort of games. You know, you, you can draw that, that cycle yeah. down and, and Golden Axe is only roughly in the middle. <laughs> um, so it shows what it influenced afterwards, yeah. Absolutely. And some, some of the key developments to the... So the genre came with, uh, I mean, Sega themselves with Streets yeah. of Rage one and two, um, and then yeah, and then I think Capcom with with uh, all their their many many games yeah. that came from the early nineties. I think the game finds itself in quite a precarious situation because it came out in the same year that Final Fight came out. I mean, it was just a couple of months later that Final Fight came out, and immediately I think Golden X already felt kind of archaic. If you see the the jumps that Final Fight make, I suppose the thing about Final Fight, um, and check out that issue of the podcast if you haven't already, listeners, um, is it's yeah, it's so much faster and it's got so many more enemies on screen. But for me, I you know I I really like Final Fight, but. Golden Axe has this sort of weight to it and this sort of charm to it that, that, mm. that I think means it stands out on its on its own merits. The chicken leg is, um, is there a word for something that's equal parts cute and sort of disgusting at the same time? <laughs> Probably. Like it does, even to this day, when I look at it, it does kind of just sort of weird me out a bit. Do you know what I mean? A yeah. kind of someone steps over your grave thing. That it conjures up, um, yeah, that, that slightly icky feeling of when you see a raw chicken leg. Um, yeah. you know, even even as a even when I was a meat eater, raw chicken legs are kind of icky with their little, you know, with their follicles or whatever the bits. But is it the, cute? We're looking it, for the cute criteria is here. It, is it cute? <laughs> it looks shiny. Cute it when look, it was cooked. It, it mm. looks like it yeah. has a very clammy skin. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Sluggy. Yeah. Um, and yes, the other we mentioned it briefly earlier, but the the other um, sort of the fireworks on show in this game uh, were the magic uh, attacks. Um, and this again, this is something that um, they sort of uh, Sega at least uh, did something more with in the first Streets of Rage, and then jettisoned it again for Streets of Rage Two. But um, here, you actually each character had different levels of magic, um, which you say so you needed more potions for, but you could activate. Um, 
early if you only had one potion or two potions and get a lesser version of your spell. So Axe Battler had his sort of earth, molten earth powers, um, the top end of which was was a huge kind of floor-rending explosion of lava. Um, Gideus had his lightning. He only needed four bottles to do the top end. But, the you know, the blue bolts of lightning looked really cool back in 1989, uh, very, very bright and... Uh, and bold um but yes for me it was it was always about tyrus's uh dragon attack she could do some other cool things with these um sort of uh fire banshees and and whatever else which used some um early sprite scaling well i say early sega's sprite scaling had already been around for a few years at this point but um in a in a game like this it was cool to see and um i noticed they how they did they sort of did a trick on the mega drive version with with her um uh, her fire banshees or whatever you want to call them because uh before it kind of ex- whereas it expanded on the arcade version like in real time uh in the mega drive version it sort of disappears off the side of the screen and then comes back on bigger so it doesn't have to do the actual <laughs> uh, sort of mode 7 style effect which is quite a neat sort of workaround i thought but but yeah that dragon which um again it's one of the bits where the mega drive version is is sort of noticeably slightly um, cut down from the arcade machine in terms of size and how it animates. But that was so cool. It was like a proper, this is worth 10p or whatever a credit cost just to get six potions together and see, again, I, I think a lot of people, you know, younger gamers perhaps and people who just weren't so invested in video games back in the, the 80s and 90s, won't realise just how exciting it was to see graphics of that size mm. and that level of art. You know, it was a, a genuine thrill that was worth paying money for for me. Especially anyway. when you couldn't see things like that at home. That's the well, that's yeah, it. That's, that's the big one. Yeah, yeah. But any any computer graphics at this point, you know, whether it was like on a TV title sequence or or a pop, you know, pop video. Uh, thinking about the the Dire Straits Money for Nothing video in '85, it was just computer graphics of any kind at this point were were thrilling to some of us. Um, and having a level of control over those appearing on screen um, by you know putting in some money, beating up some enemies, though, you know those graphics were cool. But then to to bring on this, you know, what felt like a screen high. Dragon. The fact that you couldn't see the rest of it meant that the rest of yeah. it was conjured up in your imagination. So this was a dragon that was effectively off the top of the screen, but in your head, you brought this huge behemoth flying in and, and breathing this beautiful bright red fire on on your enemies. And it was it, again, it's hard to it's hard to express in 2016 just how thrilling it was. But it really, really was. Yeah, I mean, that, that was sort of a, a thrill of the arcades at the time in general, wasn't it? Yeah. was that every time you went, you may see something new that, that you know, yeah, you'd never totally. seen before or that hadn't been possible before. And, of course, the, the difference you've got now in modern consoles is that so many development studios are so talented and on such big budgets that it's rare that something comes out. You go, I've not seen anything like that before. And, and when it does, it's rare. With the arcade, you know, it, it could have been every month or once every six every months or even a couple yeah. of weeks and yeah, yeah it, it was it was just a fa- truly fascinating time to experience games and I, I, it's one of those things I, i'm always so happy that you know i was able to experience that yeah. and live where i lived and and be totally. available to do it at that time here here yeah. So the Mega Drive version was um, when the the Mega Drive was first marketed uh, as a Genesis in the US of A. Um, they actually used side by side footage of the arcade version with uh, Golden Axe, which was a very early release, possibly even at launch for the US Genesis. 
Um, and, you know, they were confident enough of the of the conversion that they were happy to have it literally running next to the arcade version in, in advertising. Now, it wasn't on screen for very long. And if you looked at certain sections, you would know there are differences. And actually, yeah. certain elements are um, sort of slightly remixed, different enemies in different places. There's a couple of little bits of levels that are, are, are reasonably substantially altered. But as arcade conversions in 1989 went this was pretty stunning um some slightly odd things like uh, gilius axe changed color from a golden axe uh, i guess because it, it, there was confusion about which the golden axe was it's actually the one that death adder is supposed to have it's the the non-golden axe that death yeah. Adder has yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so gilius axe is now uh gray um there's a very cheap extra final boss called death bringer <laughs> giving um giving uh, Death Adder his orders, uh, who's similarly defeated, but unfortunately he's also got three unkillable skeleton hen- henchmen. Ah, oh, they are killable. Are yes. they? Yes, yeah, they're, they're um, killable, but, but they he just... Well, they just they've got some... more damage than he has. They've got more hit points than he has. Uh, okay, So right. very rarely will it ever happen that you kill them before uh, you okay. kill him. That's interesting, because on the um, official uh, hints and tips on the Mega Drive collection that came out for PS2 and PSP, it said they're not killable. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, so, I'd yeah, I've probably killed them at some point in the past and, and then forgotten. But, um, yeah, that's curious. But, yes, before that, um, as a bonus, um, because the game is still pretty, pretty short, uh, it was completable in, you know, well less than an hour in the arcades and even on the home system similarly. Um, but they stuck in an extra level. And there's they did some new art for this. So there's some new uh, enemies in the background who never come to life uh, alongside some statues of existing enemies which do come to life. But I, spe- uh, I suppose this stage is most notable for the fact that it's almost entirely possible to get through it by by getting all the enemies to walk off the edge of the stage. <laughs> which, yeah. again, to me is endlessly entertaining and funny um even though it's not actual you know gameplay in in some senses but um i like it i don't know why that is the gameplay it must be built like that surely yeah i think i think it was meant to be like a right you've got this far now have some fun smash these guys off the edge or just make them walk off the edge uh and then have this super cheesy boss if you've got enough credits left um because although you could yeah you could up the credits and lives you couldn't um, you didn't have infinite credits, so you still needed to um, do it within a certain amount of lives, I think, if I recall correctly. Um, I have done it again recently, but of course I came nowhere near running out of credits. So uh, We didn't uh, talk fail, bring it back. Uh, the arcade <laughs> end sequence that you mentioned earlier uh, was an absolute delight the first time I saw it. I don't know how many sessions we did before we chucked enough money in or got good enough to do it in the amount of money we could mm-hmm. afford. But the original arcade end sequence uh, was a fourth wall breaking sort of meta thing where um, the uh, it cuts back to kids huddled around the arcade machine uh, in an arcade with some other Sega machines dotted around, including a Thunderblade Thunder uh, cab. And the enemies start to warp out of the machine and appear in the arcade and chase them down the street before the heroes also pop out the arcade and chase them all down the street. It's a Japanese street. There's some references to uh, other real-world products, including Picari Sweat and things like that. Um, <laughs> but it was such a charmer back in the yeah. day, and I, and I still think it's sweet now. <laughs> yeah, my, my kids watched me play through the arcade version, and they were mm. so my, and my son exclaimed, like, oh, so this wasn't all real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just a game. Yes, son, it was just a game. Yeah. 
and 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 I think it's sweet as well because um, for those of us who are so as you know, I think we we've all just established that we are you know profoundly nostalgic for the arcade scene of the eighties. It's like a record of the arcade scene in its own funny, quirky way. The the group of kids huddled around the cabinet is you know with the with the with the the you know the light lighting up their faces is is kind of what it was like. And um, sadly, there weren't a million. You know, cell phone, uh, you know, cell phone photos around in that time to kind of capture it. To uh, emphasize uh, your account of how just how impressive the Mega Drive port of the game was, I have here with me the Mean Machines uh, Complete Games Guide. Ah, nice. That came with one of the magazines with a, with a super short review of it. Golden X is a perfect replica of the arcade machine, <laughs> yeah. which also sports additional features in the form of one-on-one <laughs> battle options, a mini mission. For beginners, as well as extra levels which didn't appear in the arcade version. Altogether, mm. it's one of the best arcade conversions ever seen. A mm. must. 94%. Yeah. The last bit's uh, fair and true, I think, for nineteen for 1989 or 90. But the arcade perfect uh, thing was something that yeah. got bandied around incorrectly quite a lot. Uh, yeah. But it was, it, was a, it was a damn good port. It certainly felt uh, arcade perfect at the time. Of course, yeah. now when, when you put them yeah. side to side, you, you see yeah. the, the differences. Yeah. But yeah. Even things like, um, yeah, like the bodies don't stay on screen when they die in the Mega Drive version. Um, and obviously, yeah, the huge sound compromises in terms of the, the samples. And there's lots of, you know, yeah, just lower resolution, lower color. There's there's a lot of differences. But but back in the day, uh, we were very happy. Plus, it added, uh, added a beginner mode, which is just a, a small section of the game on very easy. But it also added a dual mode. Now, um, again... Obviously, one-on-one on, one on one fighters have been around for a while, but just to have this as a mode, um, it certainly didn't get a lot of time in my house. But pre-Street Fighter 2, this was, you know, it was quite a cool little multiplayer extra. You could actually fight your mates without the, the, the hassle of, um, you know, the other enemies on the screen and stuff like that. So And being told off for hitting them. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah. And, yeah, that version came out, as was released multiple times on on uh, as well as uh, on various compilation cartridges, but also been released on 360. And um, actually, no, the arcade, yeah, the arcade version was released as a download on Xbox Live Arcade, but the uh, the Mega Drive version was released on the uh, Mega Drive Ultimate Mega Drive yeah. or Sonic's. And collection. in the vintage collection, it's back yes. to the arcade version. Yes, but yeah. with the Mega Drive sequels, um, I'm surprised they didn't in- bother including the Mega Drive version. As well yeah, as the arcade that version, is, that is surprising. Seen, seen as well it, as uh, the other games in the series, as well. Mm, um, yes, which, which is the biggest shame, I guess. Well, I have a theory about Revenge Death of Death Adder, which we'll talk about. Um, there was a Sega CD version, Mega CD. Peculiarly, it lost the two-player mode. Yeah, no weird. idea why. Anyone? <laughs> no, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I've never heard the reasoning once, no. but I've heard so many, and I've read so many complaints mm. about it. I actually had a friend who picked up. Um, I, I think I mentioned him on the past. He actually picked up the Sega Multimega, which mm. a lot of people still believe is made up, and it did actually no, exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the name, and he had Golden Axe, and he couldn't play it with his brother. <laughs> yeah, shame. Uh, but I, I think it, um, they did use the CD format to bring in some more of the sound from the arcade machine. So that's uh, so that's a slightly enhanced version in that regard. As we said, the conversion for the Master System. Um, was a compromised 8 bit version, as you'd expect, yeah. um, and only Axe Battler was playable, and it's one player only, I think, probably as you'd expect. There's only one playable yeah. character, so that makes sense. He does get all of the magic, though, if that makes sense. They've yes. Kind of 
tweaked it so that his top end magic is Tyrus's dragon, but then he gets a little bit of everyone's magic on the way up. Yeah, I think. You, is that you, right? get, you get you get to choose before you go in if you want the lightning fire or um, right. oh, cool. Yeah, one. okay. Yeah, that figures. Um, more curiously, there's a version I've never played, which is the PC Engine CD version um, by a team called Renovation for Telenet. It's interesting in that it has completely new um, character art and cutscenes. It has a quote CD quality soundtrack, but it's if you want to hear the Golden Axe tunes re-rendered in 80s synth pop style, uh, this is your go-to place. You can hear that on YouTube. I actually prefer the the arcade and Mega Drive versions to this because although it's... it looks dreadful as well, right? It looks like um, an Amstrad game or something. It's got some. It doesn't look like the arcade version at all. It's like they've re... have they redrawn all of the sprites or something? Uh, yeah, I think I think the graphics were mostly redrawn um, and the sound effects. Even though the CD quality soundtrack is there, the sound effects sound like um, sort of eight bit arcade machine from like 1982 or something like that. It's all very sort of white noise, kind of you know. I mean, visually, it it looks it always looked to me like Double Dragon in the style of of Golden Axe. I believe it didn't play very well, but obviously we can't speak. Uh, none of us having played it, but um, having looked up some uh, YouTube reviews and stuff, uh, it is not well regarded as a as a version of Golden Axe. But interesting, a curio nonetheless. The eight and sixteen bit conversions were all handled by various teams at probe software who had a sort of mixed record when it came to converting arcade stuff for the home but i think uh, by and large it's widely considered that they did a good job uh, with golden axe for amstrad cpc c64 spectrum amiga st and the dos pc i played the amiga version back in the day and it was yeah it was a it was a solid enough port it you know, you look at it now, it doesn't look as good as Mega Drive port, but it had some cool music. As we said, Jerome Tell did the C64 versions of the music. David Whitaker did the 16-bit versions. Um, if you watch the Spectrum version now, you might think, you know, how would anyone want to play that version of Golden Axe? But this was 1989 and people still had Spectrums. Um, and it was a feature-complete-ish version of an arcade machine on your ZX Spectrum. Then the next release, so that was 1990. Um, the next release, I think, was the uh, Windows PC, uh, Windows 90 X PC, I suppose. Uh, the Sega Smash Pack version, which would have been an arcade port rather than the IBM DOS version by Probe from all those years before. Sega Smash Pack also came to the Dreamcast North America, so that's a um, emulated version as well in 2001. Dreadful emulation as well. If you're going to play Golden Axe, don't make that the way you do it. Yeah. Now, the Wonder Swan color version, 2002. I have no. I've I've seen screenshots. That's all. That's all I really know about this version. Um, Wonder Swan wasn't really a big deal over here. <laughs> See, I always forget about it that it even existed. Uh, there was a GBA version in 2002, as they released a, a version of the Sega Smash Pack for there. Um, I imagine it's a compromised port, but I haven't played it. I've got it, but I can't even remember playing Golden Axe on it so yeah. i don't think it was i think it's um just a very zoomed in screen is the difference that i'm thinking of that figures um and other than that yeah just the usual game boy advance bad mega drive mm. emulation mm. i didn't know that the game boy advance had any other games other than f-zero <laughs> it does 2003 <laughs> came yes that's pretty it's a huge library um 2003 ps2 so this was not a conversion 
this was a remake. Um, so the Sega Ages 2500 series or 2500, which I think relates to the number of yen they charged for the uh, you know, budget price compilations. Volume five was Golden Axe. This was very poorly received. It, it arrived a couple of years later um, in the West as part of the Sega Classics collection, which was a compilation of Sega Ages 2500 titles. I never bought this because um, apart from a couple of exceptions, nearly all these sort of re- PS2 remakes were uh, sort of largely slagged off. If you see it for like a fiver or something, mm. give it a go at least. I th- like for tan- <laughs> It's worth it for Tantar. Oh, of course, Tantar, yes. It's got, it's got, a, it's got a remake of that, which... Yeah, yeah, you've mentioned is, that before. superb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, I think I've got a soft spot for that Golden Axe version in a funny Have way. Have you? It's, okay. Yeah, it reminds me of like what an old... Um, Imagine if the Amiga version was done by one of those studios who redrew all the sprites and yes. sort of, you know, when they just sort of started from scratch, they didn't have anything to work with. It reminds me of one of those kind of versions yeah. or a, a homebrew version, like a yeah. homebrew remake from the early noughts is kind of, I suppose that's exactly what it is, but put out as a... Yeah, I suppose if you go into it with that attitude, that's fair enough. But this came out of Sega. I mean, I don't know which team was handling these things. Um, but I it, don't think it was even a proper Sega team. I think it no, was um, it, a lot of it was outsourced here and there. It was a there. very weird way to treat some of their treasured IPs by doing sort of half-assed <laughs> remakes. Um, Again, it's so where Sega were at the time, though. I've yeah. got a real yeah, a love for that little thing. <laughs> but bear in mind, uh, as we talked about on the Gunstar Heroes show, that treasure box is a completely different kettle of fish. That is not bad remakes. That is beautifully emulated versions of treasure titles so that's uh confusingly because that came out as part of the same uh sort of run of of games 2006 7 um we got another release genesis or mega drive collection depending on where you were this was digital eclipse who became backbone entertainment um came with all three mega drive uh games including golden axe 3 which had, uh, i think i assume this was the first time that had been released outside of japan Pan other than on the Sega Net Tele was it what was it Telenet satellite oh, gosh, system or yeah. whatever it was yeah Sega Channel this was a you know pretty solid compilation for that generation of machines the PSP version which I was playing earlier on my Vita which I picked up in a you know a, 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 a PSN store sale for like three pounds um, the emulation's pretty ropey throughout but it's functional but weirdly the Mega Drive version is uh, that's there is cut down further from the normal Mega Drive ROM in that you don't even have all the sound samples that were in the old Mega Drive cut. So the female screams are now the male screams. Um, don't really know what happened there. Late 2006, the Wii Mega Drive uh, virtual console got the Mega Drive ROM in PAL land. It was the PAL version, so slow yeah. and bordered. That was my start of playing uh, playing yeah. Golden Axe at home. Yeah. Right. But I uh, I deleted that version later on and uh, got the Wii arcade uh, uh, Virtual Console arcade version. Okay, yeah, because they really that's right. They released it again as the uh, in two thousand and nine. The arcade version came to Virtual Console, which obviously yeah. wasn't uh, didn't have the same issues with um, PAL conversions. Uh, so 2007, PSN and Xbox Live Arcade uh, got the arcade version as a standalone download. Then in February 2009, we got the uh, Ultimate Genesis Collection or Sega Mega Drive Ultimate Collection. Same uh, same people, but this was the um, Mega Drive version. Was the Because there were some arcade unlocks in that compilation as well, weren't there? Was Golden Axe not one of them? Yeah, I think it's Altered Beast arcade versions unlockable, but not ah, Golden Axe. Okay. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'd already had Golden Axe 3 on the PS2, so 
Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2009, it came to the App Store on iOS. Uh, it is. It has since been removed. I don't know why. The Steam version arrived on Windows PC, of course, by uh, D3T. That's available now. Um, they gave away some of this stuff free recently as part of a, a... They do a sort of charity promotion. Sega gave away a load of stuff on Steam, including Streets of Rage 2, yeah. Golden Axe, and Gunstar Heroes. But the emulation is um, seems all right to me. It's got some quite cool presentation, this Steam Mega Drive collection. It's got sort of uh, like a, you know, a room with a telly in it that you can scroll around and stuff. Um, you can use your plug in your controllers and all that sort of thing. So that's uh, a kind of legit way of playing the Mega Drive version under emulation, if you want. Uh, whenever we these days, it seems whenever we talk about an old game that's been brought back in tasteful fashion, uh, M2 <laughs> are responsible, yeah. uh, the excellent Japanese team. This was now unbelievably four years ago. The Sega Vintage Collection run happened, all of which, apart from uh, the Tojam and Earl collection, are now backwards compatible on Xbox One as well. So you can get this, you can buy this and download this on Xbox One if you don't have a 360 setup anymore. Um, and as we said, it comes with the arcade version, both Japanese and worldwide versions of the original Golden Axe, as well as Golden Axe 2, which you can play in any of three region versions, although it doesn't make a huge amount of difference uh, other than the PAL version, is authentically slow and boarded. Well done, M2, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Um, Golden Axe 3 is uh, is there as well in its Japan Japanese form. And I assume the EU version is from it's the Sega Channel one. Is it? Okay. Who had Electronic Golden Axe? I remember playing this. I don't think I had it. It might have been someone at school. Um, yeah. I remember it, it plays exactly like every other Tiger Electronics game of yeah. the time. But, um, but it had Golden Axe on the, on the bezel. It was a way of playing Golden Axe in, in the playground. So yeah, black and white <laughs> not LCD. Not in any feasible way. But. By Tiger Electronics, distributed I think, by... I Rangsley. think I played it, but I couldn't say 100%. Yeah. Again, it's one of those, someone comes in with some Tiger Electronics and then watch and play and all those other kind of games around that time. Um, I, I think I probably played... Golden Axe. I played a whole bunch of them, so it's likely, but it's not memorable. I know somebody who collects those Tiger Electronics oh, yeah. games. So oh, brilliant! Maybe, uh, maybe he has it as well. Probably so. I imagine it's. Hmm. Uh, I imagine it's fairly easy and cheap to get hold of. But, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not a collector. Uh, Golden Axe Warrior was the Master System spin-off. Should we call it? 1991. Yeah. Yeah. This was, um, and it was a Zelda-esque JRPG, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Uh, I must admit, I've not played this. I've played a very little mm. uh, section of it. I think I borrowed it from someone at school for a couple of weeks, which at the time I think wasn't really long enough to get into one of these sort of yeah. longer games. I mean, you could probably complete it in a couple of hours, but that's knowing exactly where to yeah. go and what to do. Um, so, yeah, not enough to really say a lot no. about it, other than, yes, it is the Zelda game for the Master System, if that's what you're looking for. Similarly, Axe Battler, a legend of Golden Axe, also 1991. This was the Game Gear game by Aspect Co., um, and this one looks to me like uh, a blend of RPG and side-scrolling action a la Zelda 2 or even something like Act Razor. So Golden Axe 2 was the first sequel, not spin-off, out of the gate. It arrived in December 1991 in Japan and the US. At some point it arrived in Europe. Um, I can't remember. I think I did pick this up on a cartridge at the time. Um, so this was by Sega AM7, who were responsible for a lot of uh, home retail stuff. I remember playing it and just thinking, just a big fat, uh, 
(laughs) (laughs) Because it wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't fundamentally broken or anything. It had like the opening level tune was a cracker, but it was such a retread of the yeah. previous game. But for me, like I've seen two online reviews in the last few days that have said, you know, well, the graphics were improved, but I don't think they were at all. I think this game is so no. ugly compared to the I original. I don't like it at all. There's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a, I think it's the third level where you go through a dragon's throat, I think it's called, and it's all red. It is painful. I think it's a really, yeah, I find it aesthetically really unpleasant, this game. The sprites, the art, yeah. the and, and the levels have got none of the sort of fancifulness of, of the original game. It's it's very much down the bog-standard fantasy route. Um, you know, I've pl- again, I've played through this game quite a number of times on compilations and stuff, and I have an okay time doing it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's got a few little... I don't think it's awful. No, by no, any, no. It's yeah, by any stretch, but I, I very, do find it. It's, yeah, it's safe. meh. <laughs> you know, it it's just yeah, safe. It's it's relatively it's average. It's a little bit, um, you know, it runs a bit crisper, faster. You know, I suppose character movements a little bit zippier. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're pressing the attack button, the attacks seem to come a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit more yeah. responsive. But actually, for me, that means it loses some of its feeling of of heft. Um, the enemies all make the same. Stupid death noise, Dan. Play it. Thanks for that. Uh, and it's like, it's like I was playing it again. Yeah. <laughs> the cute little, the cute little thieves replaced by um, sli- adult versions of them. Sort of, yeah, slightly sinister hooded versions who can actually fire at you. Um, That's a sign of a misguided sequel when you get rid of one of the yeah yeah sort of fan favourites of the of the original, mm. isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, those, those little thieves. The noise when they drop that pot. Has got to be Book. one of the most recognisable sound effects. Oh, in the first game, in yeah, yeah, all yeah. of gaming. Yeah, the giggle and, and yeah. the and the, yeah. the giggle, yeah, and the and the, and the, and the chime. Yeah, 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 yeah. They and they 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 got rid of that. Another sort of slight, intre- uh, slightly interesting gameplay innovation, if you want that, was that you could charge up the magic, so you you weren't committed to using whatever level of magic pot you had yes. at the time. You could hold it down for longer to get more more magic power. That's that's quite a neat touch, I thought. Yeah, I quite like that one. Yeah, that would have been really cool to have in the original, actually. You get a mm. bit of a sort of an early meter management uh, thing yeah. going on. You, you waste so many magic jars in, in Golden Axe 1, either, either through collecting them when you've already got the maximum. One of the strange things is with the charging of the magic in Golden Axe 2, if you don't have max magic... You can actually go past five back to one. Yes, right. So yeah. if you charge it. So there was one time I was in a big battle and I was like, all right, I've got, I've got this. You know, I'll charge this up to five. <laughs> and it just went past five and basically tickled them. And ah. then I couldn't do my big magic after that because obviously I'd lost that pot. So that was a, that, a little bit frustrating, but it is quite a cool mechanic. I did actually quite like the charging. Got to watch out for, for that. Magics. Golden Axe, The Revenge of Death Adder. This was by the original team, but on the next level uh, Sega Arcade hardware, System 32, Makoto Uchida is the only sequel he oversaw. Um, you got a bunch of new characters, including a sort of centaur lady. Can a lady be a centaur? Is it, does it, is it Mourner. only... Mourner the centaur. Yeah. Um, and a giant with Gilius and, uh, yeah, some... Uh, little tricks who who's, yes. who's like a healing character um whose magic move is to grow a tree which drops food um you've got some co-op moves uh, the sorts of things that we've seen in streets of rage you've got branching paths you've got scaling graphics you've got into the screen sections it's very bright bold and colorful and this is a game that yeah. i hadn't really spent much time with i, I downloaded it 
for MAME because there's no other than yeah. buying an arcade board um, or seeking one out in the wild, which you'll be lucky to find. I do remember there being one in uh, one of the West Street Brighton arcades during this period, but I felt feel like I didn't play it much at all, maybe only once or twice. Going back to it now, um, yeah, I really like it. It's uh, it's, it's brilliant. It's a cool it's, scrolling beat. It's really beat good. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's and it's a real looker. I remember some people playing it, but I think by this point people had moved more onto one on one fighting games. I think it was oh, more. This, point, yeah. It was it was big, wasn't it? I mean, was nineteen ninety two the year that Mo- I think Mortal Kombat two came out around then? We had Street uh, Mortal Fighter Kombat two was established, uh, and Street Fighter two was getting Champion editions and Turbo editions, yeah. and, and and I think I think it was yeah. I mean that said, yeah. you know, we uh, Streets of Rage came out shortly after this and and did amazing at home. Mm. Um, and there were, as I say, there were all these Capcom games yet to come that did fine. But I think it was just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if, if, if financially it was a failure or not. I doubt it was. But. It's like if Golden Axe was Double Dragon, then Golden Axe: The Revenge of Death Adder was Final Fight. In in terms of um, its representation, it's very like Final Fight when you play it with mm. the enemy health bars, the big bold things. Every character's bigger. There's, you know, level interaction. Um, the way you can change your character after death, there's a lot of similarities there. Loading um, new Bizarians um, that can yes. pick up weapons. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, side-mounting mm-hmm. weapons is a really cool touch in this. They don't last long, but they're powerful. <laughs> um, now, my theory, the reason that this has never been released, not even on the Sega Vintage Collection, is that I think it would be maybe Sega... I, I'm not saying anyone's ever actually come out and said this about this particular game, but I think Sega maybe are feared that people would consider the representation of some of the enemies as culturally insensitive. Um, it has a lot of these sort of uh, what I suppose you'd call like tribal African style um, yeah. baddies of various colours, and I think they were they're a similar depiction to those which caused some controversy in Resident Evil Five. Now, as uh, we were talking about this online, and, and maybe if maybe that that's uh, something you know that some people would be bothered by, some others wouldn't actually. By the same token, there's a sort of horde of um, culturally insensitive Vikings turn up um, <laughs> uh, uh, on one level as well. But I think that maybe they don't, they, you know, they don't carry for, 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 for you know, historical, socio-political reasons. They don't carry the same weight. So that's just my theory. I have no reason to, to you know, know if that's true or not. But that's my hunch. It is bizarre that it's almost been sort of resigned to history and uh, and it, it, no one there's a lot of people don't really know about it over here you know it was yeah. we i didn't have one of these machines you know not in not in mm. uh, red car not in uh margate at least i didn't see one in margate and then you know they were huge arcade areas yeah. um so the, the first time i ever got to play this was through mame um yeah. and I, I fear that's probably the way a lot of people are going to have to access too, it but yeah. for anyone who's a fan of golden axe try this one mm. yeah it's it's great I, th- I think your your uh, theory might uh, might hold water, uh, but the, the, it would be kind of kind of stupid because the thing that might be objectionable about or that uh, can be considered objectionable about Resident Evil Five was more or less more the context than just having people with masks on, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, as I say, I, I can't, you know, I can't say if that theory, if there's anything, whether, you know, Sega, some executives at Sega looked at that and went, hmm, not sure that'll fly in, you know, 20. Because Crash Bandicoot had tiki masked characters. Yeah, yeah. but it, I think it's more, it's as much the, it's as much the masks as it is the sort of 
um, like the the there's quite a few sections where they're kind of um, you know behaving in a certain fashion with tribal yeah. drums playing and yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and they're capturing people. And yeah, and if you pick a, pick a certain path, they scoop you up in a net, and then uh, uh, yeah. it's it looks like they're going to have you for dinner uh, as well. Yeah, so it's that sort of thing, which I think. And again, it might be that it came out and nobody said anything. There are certain like there's a there's a there, one of the backdrops in um, one of the Blaze Blue games is jaw droppingly sort of. Um, I would say insensitive, but how, yeah, that, that game's come out multiple times and nobody's how, how about uh, How about uh, that one backdrop in King of Fighters 13? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in fact, that's the one I'm thinking of, King of Fighters, not Place Blue. Yeah, right, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's astonishing, um, but no, nobody said a thing, probably <laughs> because of the niche. Um, yeah. you know and it, you know sometimes these things have to get attention to become controversial where they where they do uh, and it may be that if revenge of death adder had been added on to the sega vintage collection it would have just yeah maybe you know it, it would have been nice to have it on there, it would have been great to have it on there um but yes it, you- it would have required maybe a, a new emulator i mind you i'm sure they've done m3 must have done system 32 stuff for i'm sure that i know that very good radmobiles point. never come out either from the same sort of time and the same that's yeah, I mean, it's Sega do have a history of not releasing things from, or arcade games, especially from a certain period. Mm. So, yeah, or mm. cert- certain boards, Model 3 uh, yeah. re-releases are uh, very far in between as well. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it might even be that. But, but uh, yeah, worth saying, I think, any for those who could be offended, it's worth, worth, worth that warning that um, there's something mm. in there that some people might consider to be. Uh, beyond hopefully the they'll do a 30th anniversary in three years time and we might get it then well yeah <laughs> the, the, the discussion we had on twitter was that uh, i i would like it very much with these things if if that is the case is if it is to do with uh sensitivity uh that they do what warner brothers did with their cartoon compilations oh, which yeah it's 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 a sort of warning come disclaimer um come explanation which is where that they present everything exactly as it was presented then but they say that the you know the the way it was portrayed was wrong then wrong now however for cultural you know complete uh you know historical that's for tom and jerry right it was tom was it tom and jerry uh, both actually that has that warning well it's both um both uh yeah both hanna barbera cartoons obviously because yeah. they had the the maid uh and yeah. there's loads of um there's loads of moments that are pretty overtly racist in warner mm. brothers you know looney tunes cartoons and you got you got countless disney movies get re-released and remastered um that, that can be, you know, culturally insensitive mm. over time. So it, it's a shame that if that's the reason why a Golden Axe title from 1992 that never saw console release mm. was blocked, it's, you know, it, it's just, it's sad really that, that there's a game that good in a series when arguably two and three have followed that are nowhere near the level of the first. Golden Axe 3 then, although I ended up getting this game on compilation i don't remember because i think because you know two didn't do a lot for me i think i paid even less attention to three i've been through it a few times in the lead up to this podcast um seems to be uh anecdotally that this has a, a pretty poor reputation having played it i didn't think it again i didn't like two i didn't think it was a terrible game again it has some innovations it has new characters um it has some of the things from revenge of death adder such as branching paths and some new characters um it has a very challenging one credit complete true ending um that's an achievement on the vintage collection obviously you can cheese it a bit with the save dates and also one of the characters who's a kind of panther 
yeah. has a pretty devastating attack that you can use to um, cheese most of the game with. I really do not like Golden Axe 3, and a lot of it, a lot of it comes from the fact that the characters can now inter- interrupt your combos on them mm. in mid-combo just to hit you. Mm-hmm. feels awfully cheap, and not only that, it follows the standard tradition of Golden Axe that many of the enemies have a longer reach than you, and... I just I don't I just don't feel like there's any sort of heart or care or passion for this game. It's Golden Axe by title only and not by care. It's just it does not do it for me. I've got a real dislike for the way that Golden Axe three plays. Well, that's a very uh, very uh, interesting Catman character in it though. Yeah, yeah, he, he, uh, the, the the Panther guy is yeah. pretty great. <laughs> but at the expense of losing um, Gilead's Thunderhead. Yeah. Well, well not yeah. necessarily that it yeah. could have been a swap out for any of the others, but. But I like to imagine I'm playing Shadow of the Beast when I'm using the Panther Man. <laughs> Gilius becomes a sort of uh, a, a, a mascot. Uh, yeah, a mascot character in in from this point on. Well, from Revenge of Death Adder on, because although he's there in uh, in Revenge of Death Adder, he's not he's not the playable character. He's kind of yeah. on the shoulders, um, and in yeah, he becomes a sort of mentor figure, doesn't he? And he's also appeared in many other games as a result, hasn't he? Sega and Sonic All Star Racing. Yes. And they like see him as the he's the sort of the main mascot guy. Sega Superstars Tennis. He's the playable. Yeah. He, he has a he has a racket, not an axe. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Subo. I think it definitely comes across as something that was made on the cheap, maybe. Mm. Um, compared to the other games that were coming out on the system at the time, it just looks like a not even me too. It doesn't look like it's like Carl says has the same heart or soul put into it. Like a, it, I don't know. It's okay. It's a. It's a gold. I should say it's a golden axe game. Cole obviously mm. disagrees on mm. that rather than the name. If it's not as good as the first that came sort of four years before, then you've yeah. got to ask what they were doing with mm. their time, really. Yeah, I mean, it was AM seven again, the same as two, but I don't know uh, whether you know how much how many of the staff were the same. But um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly you know it's a it's a full game. It's probably the biggest, longest um, golden axe, and it's it's got. Uh, it's got a number of new characters. It, it does. It feels to me like less of a of a just a you know squeeze out an identikit sequel than two. But whether it's as actually as you know enjoyable to play, maybe that's uh, maybe the jury's out on that one. Uh, Golden Axe: The Duel. I remember existing, and I remember thinking when I got my Saturn that I wanted to play it because I thought in screenshots it looked pretty great. And you know the one-on-one beat 'em up scene at this point was was thriving. Um, and this looked like a this looked probably closest to an SNK type game, the way it animated and the the, the colours on screen, that sort of thing. But um, the reviews were so tepid, um, not really powerfully negative, just really really middling, um, that I gave it a miss. It's a tough ask on the Saturn, though, isn't it? As a fighting game, let's be honest. The Saturn and its 2D fighters mm. was something a bit special. Had astonishing library, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and this, I mean, this was a 1994 arcade machine first and then arrived on the Saturn the following year um, when the Saturn, yeah, was already about to become, you know, flooded with the likes of Street Fighter Alpha 2. And It's a bit of a return to the well of um, Double Dragon as well because we just had the Double Dragon, um, the Neo oh, Geo Double Dragon one-on-one fighter. Yeah, of course, yeah. So it looks like they've kind of gone and copied mm. another idea again, but obviously <laughs> weapons makes it different. Yeah, the parallels are amazing. You'd just rather be playing Last Blade or Samurai Showdown, whatever number was at that point, probably. So then there was a long layoff of uh, over a decade, as far as I can establish, uh, before uh, Sega had another attempt at a, a reimagining or reboot or, or whatever you want to call it. Golden Axe Beast Rider for the 360 and PS3. 
obviously the name caught my eye. Then I saw the reviews in October 2008. <laughs> and even though I've probably seen this game for like, you know, £2.50, uh, I've never bothered to play it. Yeah. Mikhail, kindly um, <laughs> say kindly. You already owned it, didn't you? You didn't buy it just for the show. No, no, no. I own it already. Uh, yeah. You you went back to it, and uh, what did you make of uh, uh, Beast? I also uh, saw all the, the bad reviews at the time when it uh, when it came out, so I never really bothered with it. Yeah. But then I uh, one time on YouTube, I watched this classic game room uh, review of yes. uh, of the game, and uh, he made it. So seem quite entertaining okay. and since the game was already like down to five or three three or two euros at the time i mm. figured i might pick it up um so the game received a thrashing but yeah. uh as far as i'm concerned for all the wrong reasons because in many ways mm. it's uh it's not such a a terrible game and um, the developer secret level is kind of like a, a film license shovelware uh, um, developer but um, I think uh, what shines through pl- playing through the game uh, is that it seems like they're in some ways their heart was actually really in it seems more like uh, inexperience and budget res- restraints uh, that he- uh, hold the game back rather than not giving a damn or uh, or anything along those lines the the visual redesign is is quite stark in the sense it's also very faithful to the robert e howard's primal heroic fantasy uh, style so more more it's it's very faithful to the source material that also inspired the original the golden x not so much the game itself uh yeah it has that really raw uh feel to it it's very gory and bloody as well the music is very like yeah very very war drum driven uh and this weird chanting in the background uh, so the atmosphere is, is quite good it's it's i think they work with a limited budget which mm-hmm. remains uh with which um keeps the game from looking actually great and sounding really great to the, the developers credit i think they also really tried their best to come up with an interesting combat system so the main the main uh, core of it it's not a god of war button masher because you're you're gonna die very quickly in the game if you start just hammering at your heavy and light attacks, but uh, it's more of a defensive game where you need to parry certain attacks in order to counter them and dodge other attacks in order to to counter the other type of attacks and the attacks that the enemies make are color coded. So you get these orange attacks that need to be dodged for a bloody counter and uh, blue attacks that uh, need to be parried, Uh, which is kind of interesting, although it's also a little bit simple in a sense. The the main problem with the the whole combat system is that it seems... uh, designed for uh for one-on-one fights so as soon as you are surrounded by multiple enemies uh it's very uh you're gonna get hit in the back all the time while you try to either dodge or parry uh, enemy attacks and it's it's uh, becomes quite choppy um Mm. but playing it playing it yesterday again i sort of started to get the hang of it even though i uh, threw the the uh, the game away in disgust uh, a, co- a couple of years back when I got it, uh, and it it just it requires a very different playing style from the likes of uh, of other character action games or beat 'em up games. Uh, so it's it's a lot of hopping around, waiting, parrying, uh, canceling. Thank mercifully, you can actually cancel your attack strings into the dodges or the parries. So that's something that was maybe not all that pre- prevalent for Western developers to uh, incorporate into their, into their combat systems around the time. 
but it never feels quite as good or fluent as uh, the better examples uh, of the genre. Hmm. The saving grace that uh, keeps the entertainment on a good level in the game are the beasts that you encounter. So you can quickly slaughter enemies and drops uh, when you when you ride a beast. If you again time the time the attacks right, like you had to do in the original. Suddenly it popped into my head today. I can't believe I hadn't thought of it before, but Alien Storm uh, was really the spiritual successor to Golden Axe because it was, I think, by the same team. Um, Gilius pops up as a cameo and it is effectively a Golden Axe game, but with aliens uh, and alien fighting people, albeit interspersed with uh, odd first person shooting sections in shops. believe you actually shoot up an arcade right and i think there's a golden axe machine in there that makes sense yeah Yeah. um but i think the the games that really picked up where golden axe left off even if the you know if if revenge uh of death adder was uh was the the sort of the prime sequel to golden axe uh, we'd already had king of dragons and knights of the round both by capcom which were you know obviously inspired by golden axe but after revenge of death adder we had the uh two dungeons and dragons license games from capcom tower of doom and shadow over mistara which uh came to the saturn with uh albeit if you had the four meg uh ram cart but Excellently, uh, Iron Galaxy uh, released a double pack called Chronicles of Mistara um, for PS3, 360 and PC. And Wii U. It was also on Wii U. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And Wii U. You know, if you've been inspired by the talk of uh, fantasy brawlers, those games are are, are pretty stellar and um, have pretty substantial RPG-style elements as well. Yeah, they make good on the promise from from the earlier Golden Axe team, really, don't they? Yeah, Adding the RPG sections. Um, and then the you know there was um, we should mention Dynamite Decker or Die Hard Arcade um, because I believe at least one version of that actually had cameos from one or two Golden Axe characters in it. So that was um, Sega's brief dalliance with uh, s- scrolling brawlers with polygons, um, and that came to Saturn as well as uh, at the arcades. And that had a follow up called Zombie Revenge on the Dreamcast and arcade, which. I think by this time, both Sega and the genre were kind of, you know, uh, limping along. Uh, obviously, we had uh, the Warriors from Rockstar on that P- you know, PS2, Xbox generation, and later PSP, God Hand from Capcom. Uh, we covered God Hand on a previous podcast, uh, another polygonal brawler type of game. Um, then Castle Crashers came along in 2008 and was ported to every format under the sun over the next few years and sold an awful lot of copies. And I mean, without Golden Axe, Castle Crashers simply would never have existed. So people have probably played that. And then I suppose the the really obvious uh, up-to-date-ish version is 2013's, Dragon, uh, 2013's Dragon's Crown by Vanillaware, um, which was uh, actually given away as a PS Plus game on Vita at least a while back. Um, you know, it might depend how you feel about the character art. Personally, I take the whole thing as a sort of a very tongue-in-cheek pastel but some people aren't keen understandably um but that is very much a modern take on the genre we're talking about so that's out there 2013 also saw uh sega studios australia now shuttered they put forward the idea of rebirthing some of sega's classic ips they did it with one in my opinion not terribly successfully with castle of illusion starring mickey mouse uh, a game we covered previously that i adore the remake version looked nice, sounded nice, didn't play well at all, I didn't think. 
but they mooted a Golden Axe, another remake, perhaps more upmarket than the 2000, Sega 2500 version. Um, there is footage out there uh, and an article or two, one on Kotaku, about the, the pitch that Sega Australia made, but that never came to fruition. So we've got a little bit of correspondence for Golden Axe, and we'll start with Gaio Pinto who says, my parents got a Sega Genesis when I was a kid and it came with a Sega six-pack cartridge. I tried all six games, but I only stuck with Streets of Rage and Golden Axe. I loved Golden Axe's music, the map between levels, casting magic spells and riding the dragons. And this is probably just nostalgia, but I loved the way it sounded. The heavy thwock when you hit someone with an axe or the super distorted screams you'd hear when you died or when villagers were fleeing the level. As a child, I was never able to beat Golden Axe. I played it again on Vita with that goal in mind, and I don't think the game, this game ages very well, especially compared to the Streets of Rage series. My strategy was to play as the dwarf and just sprint back and forth across the level, headbutting all of the enemies. I never found anything that worked better. Even for a brawler, this game felt kind of primitive. I still fondly remember playing the game as a kid, but it's not a game I'll be coming back to. Fair enough, Gaio Pinto. Max Stats says Golden Axe is one of the first games I remember playing. It was a PC at my father's workplace, though I was seven in 1990 time, so it might be mistake. I might be mistaken about the platform. I always picked Dwarf because of his cool axe and rarely advanced further than the third level. But those two first levels I remember very clearly to this day. I remember all those PC speaker screeches, sounds of dragons breathing fire, those hard hitting sounds or music that accompanied it. Gameplay was also very fun, and I was amazed by how you could throw your enemy, charge and headbutt him, or ride numerous beasts. Magic was also cool, but very visceral, and dynamic combat was much more fun to execute. I also liked the little mini-game of kicking gnomes for magic bottles or roasted meat. <laughs> and finally, we have suits. I initially had this on the Sega Master System 2. I forget how I managed to wangle a copy or wrangle a copy, but it certainly wasn't mine and must have been a copy I'd swapped at school somehow. Placing this into a time frame, it was before I had my Mega Drive, which means it was before I was 10. So places this at what must be 1993-ish. I was well aware of the Mega Drive version of the game and had played it briefly and read about it often in Sega Power magazine. Not owning a console that I could play a premium version on meant that I had to hunt down an 8-bit version. From what I can remember, it was a bad 8-bit version compared to the 16-bit daddy. The graphics were bad and the sound was bad. Then I got my Mega Drive and pretty soon picked up a proper copy. The greens and the purples jumped out at me in such a vivid way back then and really made the 8-bit Sega system look so, so inferior. The sound of the drums at the intro screen is still such a banging tune. Then the keys came in and it's truly magical. As a preteen, getting your hands on this after you've craved it for so long is immense. The magic system was decent enough and the troll-kicking post-level snooze-theft scene comical and frantic enough to keep you immersed. Those post-level images of the map expanding, the flying turtle and the jingle that accompanied the story progressing are wondrous to me. I think the mounts were, mounts were great too, the dragons feeling like the more powerful choice. The chicken leg, beak things with their whipping tails were decent but had what felt like a mobility penalty compared to the fire-breathing dragons. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but whatever. Generally, as I played through this as a child, I would always, always meet my doom in the level after the large door where you had to battle the dude with the big hammer. Once defeating him and more than likely being a bit light on lives by then, you'd enter the level with big gaps and unedged floors. There were a few jumps that you had to make with the dash jump, which was my Achilles heel as a youngster. Not being able to get to grips with advanced controls was so often my downfall in early Sega games, the revenge of Shinobi being another. 
As soon as this hit the Xbox Live Arcade, I picked it up and played the buttons off it until I'd gotten all the achievements it had to offer. I think the Xbox Live version was a full arcade port as opposed to a Mega Drive port, but either was massively enjoyable and an absolute must if you loved that early 90s Sega scene. Streets of Rage was my go-to brawler at the time, and still is, but I think Golden Axe brings more to the table than just a not a Streets of Rage Sega brawler. I'm fairly sure I played this most before Streets of Rage 2 came out, or at least before I managed to permanently get a copy of Streets of Rage 2, which raised the bar a good distance above anything Golden Axe was able to hit or even had in target. It was more arcade in its design, play and feel. The world was fantasy and in my eyes held its place in the Sega catalogue perfectly comfortably, with equal space for both to coexist successfully. It's also important to consider that Golden Axe by design was a port of a different game for a different audience than what its cousin Streets of Rage is, one for a cabinet in an arcade, one for a console and a couch. I may be blinded slightly by nostalgia that wow, than wowed by gameplay, but I think a lot of what Golden Axe brings is deep, impactful and impressive for its time and path into homes. An absolute classic for me and a big bright jewel in Sega's crown. Lovely posts, thank you. And now... In just three words, from Twitter at Kane and Rince. Eric Jones sadly says, I stopped trying. Alex79UK said, activate nostalgia specs. Quasimod says, nerf jump attacks. Freelance police, man, woman, dwarf. Junazel says, playable female character. Dan Ma, Mr. Pointyhead on Twitter said, kicking blue midgets. Maxstat says, known kicking simulator. Mad Lucas says, grab that dragon. Gaio Pinto says, that's my dragon. Suits says, those intro drums. And Michael Ledwood says, cartridge never dusty. Lovely stuff. All right, let's summarise. Uh, would we recommend picking it up now in some form? In which form? Um, and yeah, just your thoughts on Golden Axe. Carl? <laughs> this is such an odd one because Golden Axe is such a fond memory of mine from my time growing up in the arcades and playing the versions, talking about it on the playgrounds, you know, playing it with one friend on his mass system, another friend on his Mega Drive. And as much as I have these memories and, and how much I enjoy them, and, and, and I can go back to it and sort of relive them as I'm doing it, I don't know if I necessarily enjoy the game like I used to. Like, that music is still wonderful and the sound effects are still so memorable, but in terms of how the game plays, there are just tighter brawlers these days that are readily accessible. I mean, you can get the Streets of Rage collection uh, via the Sega Vintage Collections and you got Final Fight and more modern games like Bayonetta that we mentioned sort of follow this straight. Uh, there's a great deal of them, but... Golden Axe can be had so cheap, and, and if you feel you want to see not necessarily where the genre began, but certainly one of the major you know uh, points along the way of defining that genre, um, then Golden Axe is definitely one that you should be visiting. Uh, the fact that it's available backwards compatible on Xbox One should open it up to a lot more people who no longer have the Xbox 360 under their consoles. It can be had cheap via Steam, via the Mega Drive collection, although... You know, you're stuck with the Mega Drive version uh, rather than the arcade release, which is in the vintage collection. Um, and and all told, it's it's about seven or eight pounds, I think, to buy digitally. So it's not necessarily a whole lot of money. I think there are better ones to be had, but again, if you really want to experience it, then then give it a go. Thank you very much, Mikhail. As I was saying earlier, uh, the thing about Golden Axe is that it 
time caught up with it very quickly since it came out at a turning point of where uh, beat-em-ups would evolve in the 90s and as a series uh, as we've also established it never really quite got off the ground with half-hearted sequels uh, except of course for the magnificent revenge of death adder should you return to golden x i think uh, if you're anything like me and you just are and you haven't played it yet if you're interested in playing older games and see where certain things were originated, then you definitely should. I think you can, with that mindset, you can have a good time with it too. And other than that, I think what really is left, what's there to really return to is the excellent atmosphere and the art design and also the, the coolest beasts to ride on of, the, of any game that came afterwards uh, in, in that series. I think it also serves as a reminder of that not all fantasy-themed games should be Tolkien-style, but we need some of that savagery in there as well, that, uh, that primal heroic fantasy. Uh, we need more of that. Dan Clark. Um, I'm going to start with one thing that we I think we forgot in the legacy, where mm. um, in so- uh, Sega All-Stars Racing Transformed, is that what it's called? It, 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 it uh, was mentioned Sonic in and passing. Sega All-Stars Racing. Yes. There, oh, okay. There, there um, but a, the track in yeah. that is a great way to... Um, <laughs> Maybe for people to see how it looked in our heads <laughs> back when it came out in the arcades, you know, it's this sort yeah. of like hyper real, um, in your face version of that. The track is really amazing, the racing track, uh, yeah, the, the Golden Axe track, and uh, the theme, the, the stage one uh, theme edition is uh, really epic. And then, um, Golden Axe itself, I can't ever take apart whether I actually enjoy it or not. <laughs> Um, or whether I'm just sort of going through the motions and it's the nostalgic feel of uh, the things we said, like bouncing between the two giants at the end of the first stage on your chicken leg or all those sort of little moment-to-moment things that I play, every time I play the game, I play it exactly the same way. Um, so I don't know if it would be enjoyable for a modern player, but if you can put yourself into our minds as things were then, that this was a cutting-edge piece of arcade tech, um you may be questioning, is it really gameplay? Like I think we've said a few times. Um, not the not the entire thing, obviously the combat is, but there's, like I say, there's just a weird feel to it that I think is just my nostalgia crossed with almost a self-loathing when I play it. It's like, <laughs> why am I doing this again, you know? Um, mm. I've been through this so many times and I could be like doing something else other than this, but it's only half an hour, 40 minutes. So mm. um, yeah, take that out of your life and at least have a look at, at what we were doing way back then. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about I, I can't really separate my my feelings for this game with its quality. Um, but I do know that whereas I would, uh, you know, I would make a case for games like Robotron and Bubble Bobble from even before this game being absolutely worth you know playing now with without any question as you know kind of timeless classics. I'm not even going to pretend that golden axe is like that but despite its creaky feel and clunkiness and idiot idiot ai i am completely inured to all its idiosyncrasies the original game this is like i can the the less fanciful less colorful sequels don't have the same charm for me although i can still get a certain amount out of uh playing each of them especially the uh, revenge of death adder which as i say is only realistically playable by main but the original game as I say, uh, I can only really repeat what I said at the start, which is that I've been pl- I've been playing video games for the best part of 40 years. I play hundreds of new games a year. I've played literally thousands of video games. I have never completed a game more than Golden Axe. It's got to have something going for it. Um, and yes, the, if you have any interest in old video games, uh, I would say the way, the legitimate way to experience 
Golden Axe and some of its legacy is the Sega Vintage Collection, either on 360 or backwards compatible on Xbox One, because uh, Iron Galaxy, like M2, really know their stuff when it comes to putting these things together. Uh, and it's a, a great addition to your collection. So it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Dan and Mikhail, and to tell you that next time in issue 226, we fish around the cavities of level 5 sumptuous JRPG, looking for the Ghiblis in our Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch issue. (laughs) 